series can stay him. We're going to uh, title this message tonight, Peyton Place in Abram's House. Okay? Peyton Place in Abram's House. Abram and Sarai have not had a name change as of yet, and that's going to come a little bit later. But the story that I'm going to tell, it's just tough, is a tough one for me to tell. Okay? It's, it's just tough. Sometimes I want to say, you know, Lord, couldn't you just have left this part out of the Scripture? You know, I, I, I don't know how much impact that would have had. And, and uh, obviously the Lord doesn't answer me like that. And say, I, I know what I'm doing. A couple of weeks ago we talked about Abram taking his family. Abram, and uh, he was taking them. Um, uh, Abram and his family and his possessions, they all went down to Egypt. Okay? Um, his wife Sarah, apparent Sarai, is apparently drop dead gorgeous, and Abram thinks the Pharaoh's going to want to take her and kill him if he finds out that she's his wife. We've already talked about all this, so he begs his wife to tell Pharaoh that she is his sister, and the Pharaoh does take her, spares Abram's life because he thinks she's his brother. Okay. And she's being groomed in his harem to have sexual relationships with this Pharaoh. Most Bible scholars don't believe that that was ever consummated, okay? But when Sarai was taken into Pharaoh's household, plagues began to infest Pharaoh's house. He recognized that there was some correlation between the timing of bringing Sarai into the house and the beginning of the plagues. And he figures out that Abram has lied to him about Sarai being his sister. She's his wife. He's angry. Pharaoh sets them down and says, Why didn't you tell me the truth? He'd given them a great deal of gifts. Gold, cattle, servants. Even the servant Hagar was a gift to Sarai. He says, Get out of here and take your gifts that I've given you. And they leave. And Hagar is with them as they travel out of Egypt. The question I want to ask you right now is how do you respond to the promises that don't seem to be happening in your life? Are you impatient? You know, I'm patient about a lot of things, but then on the other hand, I'm pretty impatient with other things. And tonight, this week when I was studying for this particular sermon, I looked at it from all different angles. I could have told the story from Abram's perspective. I could have told it from Sarai's. I could have told it from Hagar's, but I'm telling it from somebody standing outside as an observer, obviously, looking at this situation. Number one, okay, welcome to a twisted but true story. Genesis 16, 1 through 3. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Folks, I want to stop here and say, this is not like any woman that I've ever known. All women here in favor of letting your husband go sleep with his secretary, raise your hand. That's what I thought. I'm going to build a family through her. <laughs> Is this any surprise? Abram agreed. Oh, yeah, let's do this. 
Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan, 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. God had made a promise to Abram that he was going to have a son. And Abram wants a son really, really bad. Sarai is aware of the promise. They go back to Canaan, and years after the promise, still no son. Sarai decides to take things into her own hands. She's getting old. She comes up with this raggedy little plan to give Hagar to her husband as a wife so she can bear Abram a child. Now, in that culture, according to their customs, this is perfectly normal. As a matter of fact, in that day, the child would be considered Sarai's child. Hagar is a slave, a servant. She's simply a piece of property. And God does not condone the customs and the culture back then, okay? But this is the reality. Sarai began to think that this might be the way to make God's plan happen. Maybe this is what God really meant. You know, and it's not unusual for people to think, well, maybe we can just give God a little bit of help, okay? Let's, let's help him out in this situation just a little bit. Maybe this is what God means. And they think maybe God is not getting a grip on the entire situation here. So we're going to help. I'm getting old, all right? She blames, and then it happens, okay? Well, you know, it, it, she, the promise isn't coming true. So what does she do? She blames God for the situation. She said, God has not come through. The Lord has kept me from having children. Well, this isn't true. As you see, she's going to bear a child. And remember, when you know that God is sovereign, you exchange your Timex watch for God's calendar. You change it for His timing. People get confused about the concubines the second wives and the polygamy in the Bible. Remember, God never condoned all of that. Well, people say, well, it's in the Bible, isn't it? Well, God never said it was okay. Men did this out of selfishness. They did it out of their sin nature. And Abram and Sarai are twisting the promise of God. They're lettering the cultural norms dominate their thoughts over the promises of God. People say the Bible isn't relevant for today. This story I'm telling you today is our culture over and over and over again. This is the Jerry Springer show of the day. I've got to confess, when I'm flipping through the channel and I see people hollering and screaming on Jerry Springer, I have to stop and watch for a moment. It's a train wreck. You can't take your eyes off of it. Finally, I shake myself and we go on, okay? But it's the same stuff as Genesis 16. Sometimes we have to remember, and Sarah should have remembered this, sometimes God answers yes, and I like that. God says yes, don't we all like that? Right, God, yeah, okay. Sometimes God says no. That's tough to hear. But sometimes God says wait. And the truth of the matter is, I'd rather hear no than him say wait. Why do I not like wait? Because I have to wait. And my start asking, well, how long, Lord? 
Is it about time? A guy was seen at Best Buy the other day. He was overheard. His wife's pushing us a little stroller, and they've got a little baby in there. And they're in the TV section. How many have been in the TV section in Best Buy? A few, okay. Well, they got, they've got all kinds of TVs there. You know, They've got the 40-inch TV. They've got 42-inch TVs. They've got even a little small one, 35-inch. And then you go back there, and they've got the Godzilla TVs back there. I mean, they're massive, 80 inches you know, back there in a certain section. And the husband is saying to the wife who's pushing the baby and just playing with the baby in the stroller, said, honey, that TV, that 80-inch one, would fit perfectly in that room in our house. And she takes her gaze off of the little infant and the smile and the laughter, and all of a sudden it turns to a frown and a scowl, and she moves her gaze back to her husband and says, you've got to be kidding and he says, well, honey, it's only $16 a month for the rest of your life, okay? Sometimes we get in situations in our life that our logic just goes out the window. It's a dumb thing to do. We decide we're going to do it anyway. And we come back to Sarai and Abram. You know, I, wanna beat, I don't want to beat Sarai up too bad in this story. But I'm looking from the outside, and I'm going to give her some credit. She is really trying to make the promise of God work out. I believe in her heart that that's what she's trying to do. All right? But you can't make the promise of God come true. What do you do with the promise of God? The only thing you can do with it is you can receive it. Number two, bad decisions lead to bad decisions. It's a snowball. It gets bigger, and it gets bigger in a bad way. Genesis 16, 4 through 5. I wish Abram would have just said, no, no, honey, I can't do that. But he sleeps with Hagar, and she conceives. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Big mistake. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Hagar had never had anything in her entire life. She's been dominated. She's been controlled since she was born. She has never been in a position of power, authority, or influence in any way. And she is now having the baby that Sarai should be having. And it's Abram's baby. She's now somebody. And Hagar is mocking her. Do you see this? Sarai's sin is mocking her now. Have you ever had sin in your life and it comes back to haunt you? 
Sarah, I just knew this was God's plan. I'm going to help him out. It's going to be okay. And all of a sudden, the sin that she had perpetrated is now laughing in her face. Isn't it wonderful that God doesn't mock you with your sin? After you've asked forgiveness, God says, I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to throw it as far as he's just from the west into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. But guess what? Satan doesn't forget, and he has a very good memory. God's not going to hold you accountable for it. But let me tell you something, even to the point when you're standing in the line getting ready to go to heaven, Satan's going to be standing there accusing you. Wow. Sarah's not, Sarah has now blamed her husband. Sarah now is blaming God. Wow. <laughs> I'm starting not to like her. Number three. Why are relationships so complex? How many of you realize that when you got married, after you got married, did that sweet little thing, and we talked about it a little bit, ladies, when you marry that handsome stud that you, he's sitting beside, you know, you just, he, he's everything. After a couple of months or maybe even a couple of years, you realize that you married the whole clan. Then when you decide you want to have kids, everything's wonderful and you have kids. And they're so wonderful and they're beautiful and they're great. And then they grow up and they become teenagers. It's wonderful most of the time. Genesis 16 and 6. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Ever, anybody ever look at this and realize that this is abuse? We've got abuse going on in this household. If we want to go back to the word bullying, we've got that going on in the household in many different directions. I'm not going to belittle Abram and Sarai. They are big players in Scripture, obviously. But they didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the Levitical law. They didn't have a road map of where they were going in this deal. They had no Bible. And we think it's hard to hear from God. That's all they had was their listening ear, their spirit to God. Human nature is now taking over here. Hagar is rude to Sarai. Sarai is tired of having her sin rubbed in her face. And Abram looks, steps back and says, not my monkey, not my circus. This is your problem. Deal with it. She did what Abram said to do. She came down on her in the Hebrew language. It says she was harsh. Hagar is so devastated that leaving is better than staying. Leaving the safety of Abram's house meant that she was getting ready to die out in the wilderness. She is the property of someone else, so she just can't go to another home. She can't just start over. She knows when she leaves that her life is finished. And I don't know how human nature can allow people to be so mean, but they are. 
I look at this world and I don't understand what causes people to be so mean to one another in a crowd of this size or even smaller. In it, there are people who've been abused physically, sexually, emotionally. There are people here that have been abused. And people who've been abused, they've been harmed, they've been hurt in their life. Sometimes it's by the very people that they should have trusted more than any. Their emotions are about that far from the surface. And just about anything will cause them to crack and those emotions start bubbling up like lava to the surface. Some are ready to burst into tears, some into rage. We all want to have a good image. We want to dress nice. We want to live in a nice place. We prefer to project that we're in good shape physically. We want a nice car to drive. We want our children to be respectable. We want people to think that we're doing okay. And the outer part of our lives is what others see. But it's the foundation of your life that makes your temple livable. Picture a house with a bad foundation. Can you bring that up? Perfectly good house, you know. And when it's standing on the foundation that it should have been standing on, a realtor would have driven up and said, this house has six bedrooms, three baths. It has about a 3,500 square foot living area. And it sells on this beachfront property for about $700,000. But it didn't have a good foundation. And I'm not going to go on to, into how it's built on the sand. But it just didn't have a good foundation, and it crumbled. Do you think that realtor could get $700,000 for that house today? No, they'd probably have to pay you to destruct, destroy the house and carry away all of the materials that were used to build it. And that's the way it is with our lives. What kind of foundation is your life built on? You may look good. You may shine up really pretty when you come to church. You may have the finest automobile, a beautiful house. Your kids are respectable. Everything that's going on in your life is pretty good. But what about that foundation? When something really comes and cracks into your life and injures you, are you going to stand? Is it going to work out all right? Abram and Sarai have a damaged foundation, and they haven't spent much time fixing it. Yeah, sure. Go to Pharaoh. Sleep with him. That's okay. Just tell me you're my brother. I just don't want to die. Oh, sleep with my... My, uh, my, my servant, abuse her, be mean to her. You know, this is why I trust the Bible. These stories that are ugly, that are full of the people who are even in the faith hall of fame, it tells their bad side, things that they're doing wrong. That's why I trust the Bible. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it hides nothing from us. Number four, God meets us where we are. Aren't you glad 
Wherever you are, God is there. Hagar's alone. It appears that she's going to die. She's in the wilderness. There's no home. There's no food. There's no provision. There are no options for her. The end is very near. She's in total desperation. And then in Genesis 16, 7 through 10, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now we have the race that's created so much havoc around the world. But you see, God made a promise to Abraham or Abram. Your seed will be as the stars in the sky, too innumerable to count. And they thought it was just going to be one son here and figure out God's plan. But the seed went forth and the seed spread and it's still Abram's seed. You know, Jesus shows up to Hagar out in the wilderness. He shows up in the likeness of an angel. But many times in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord will show up, and it's actually the second person of the Trinity. It's Christ. It's Jesus showing up to people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when he looked in, the soldier looked in and said, you know, there's three. No, there's four, and one's likened unto the Son of God. It wasn't just an angel. It was the Son of God. He asked her, where are you going? He already knew. He didn't have to ask that question. And Ishmael is about to be born. And the angel says to her, you're going to have a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael is going to have millions, perhaps billions of descendants. Wow. It was the perverted seed. It wasn't the seed of promise. This was the seed that was sown in sin, and I'm not going to get into this day, today, but her final demise, Hagar, is when the son of sin was mocking the son of promise, the son of righteousness. Hagar for years is not in the picture. This has been about Abram and Sarai and their journey, and suddenly the Lord is in the wilderness ministering to this little girl servant who has left the household where the blessing is. Here's the point. Why did he do that? God even loves the people that you don't like. The people you despise. God is willing to go and show up to them and minister to them. Why? God has a plan for everybody. That's why we're asked to pray for our enemies. God is not a respecter of persons. And five, number five, God sees 
hears and redeems. Genesis 16 and 13, she gave the name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. You're the God who sees me. Up to this point, Agar has been overlooked by everyone. She'd never been seen. Then she tries this little attempt at poetry. I have now seen the one who sees me. The biggest proclamation I can give you today is this. God sees you. You may think that you've been overlooked in everything in your life. You may think that you're the lowest in all of your household, that you don't have any abilities, that nobody's ever patted you on the back. I want you to be assured that God Almighty looks out of heaven and He sees you. He knows your name. He knows every hair that is on your head. God sees you. I'm going to give you four takeaways today, okay? These are things that you could, should be thinking about, okay? Do you ever think about the things that you should be thinking about? A, am I trusting God or am I trying to play God? Should things not turn out like I wanted or should they not happen in the timing that I like? Am I taking over the pilot seat and trying to fly this plane all by myself? You remember Indiana Jones? He's in the latter part of the Old Testament. And I've got a film clip here of Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, and I think is the, this is the third part of that trilogy of movies, and he's stepping out in faith here, okay? And it was just a neat illustration, okay, of what it's like to walk in faith and not be depending upon ourselves, but be totally dependent on God. Let's see if we can see this. That's not it. We just got to step out. Just step out. All right. B, am I careful to guard my relationships? Look what Abram, Sarai, and Hagar became in all of this. Not real pretty. I don't think any of them can be proud of how they were treating their relationships. And it was because of power, authority, misconceptions, and misunderstandings. And we all go through that. We become people that we don't want to be. Perhaps we need to look at those relationships that have become unsteady. People that we love, that we have become shaken around. What do we need to do to fix it? See, do I repay pain with pain? Am I a revenge person? You've heard the phrase, I don't get mad, I get even. How are you wired? Why is it so important to you? Can you stop the cycle of abuse in your life? How many people grew up with serious abuse in your life? And I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Aggressively or passively, many people are punishing those who dealt out the abuse in revenge. Deuteronomy 32 and 35 says, Vengeance is mine. Whose? It's God's. God says, Vengeance is mine. It's a God thing. 
And when you start taking revenge, when you start taking vengeance upon people, you're saying, God, I'm replacing you now. I'm stepping into what you have reserved for yourself. And we are playing God. How do you know how much vengeance the person needs that you're extracting out upon them? Probably you're giving them too little. Or maybe you're giving them too much. But how do you know? That's God's position and God's alone. Don't take his place. D. Do I see, hear, and redeem? If we serve a God who can go out in the wilderness and find a little servant girl named Hagar and sit down beside her and redeem her and tell her she is being blessed with the child, I'm certain that we serve a God that's saying to all of us that we can do the same. Let's stand.